When Blanche's niece Lucy comes to Miami for a visit, she quickly shows interest in seeing the sights. And by sights, I mean men. And by seeing, I mean sleep with. What is Blanche to do with a young woman that has clearly been inspired by her own actions? It's time for Tough Talk. No, not with Blanche's niece, with the rogue mouse that is tormenting Dorothy in the kitchen. Let's explore sexuality and murophobia in today's episode, Nice and Easy. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. You're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our thing. No matter the misters that come and go. This episode opens with what could be a very polarizing shot. It's of Sophia's foot as she crams cotton balls in between her toes for a home pedicure. If you're into feet, you're welcome. If not, I'm sorry. A future Elvis being played by Quentin Tarantino was probably really into that shot. Sophia is doing her pedicure in the living room, sitting on the couch in yellow pants, a gray cardigan, and a multicolored checkered shirt, when Blanche enters in jeans, maybe jeggings, a cream structured blouse, and an oversized yellow jacket. Blanche puts the kibosh on Sophia's self-care of painting her nails, not putting numbers on them to keep track of them, as Sophia claims she's doing. Sophia is getting the boot because Blanche wants the house nice for her soon-to-arrive niece, Lucy, who's visiting Miami to do some college interviews. Blanche is hoping they're successful so they can live close to each other, as they are already emotionally close. Sophia can't relate to being close to a niece because all of hers are nuns and nuns are just too hard to shop for. In the same moment, Ellen, I mean Dorothy, comes bursting in from the kitchen. Hi! (laughs) I'm Ellen Burstyn. She's clearly distraught, saying over and over again, I can't believe it, with a hand to her head. Hey, this is Coco coming at you. Hi, Coco. From across the room. As you were telling that, I had the thought that her name, maybe they gave her the name Lucy, because she's a loose woman. She's a Lucy. I am almost certain that that's probably how they came up with that name. I bet they sat there and they're like, what's kind of a slutty name? Lucy. Lucy Goosey. Lucy like a goosey. Mm-hmm. What on earth could have our big, strong, brave, intelligent Dorothy in such a tizzy? Well, she saw a rat in the kitchen and her murophobia, or fear of rodents, has kicked in. Rose follows Dorothy into the living room to clarify it wasn't a rat, it was a harmless little mouse. But Rose's sunny disposition and minimization of the infestation does not help. Sophia is cradling a gray and white leaf-printed Dorothy with a pink-collared shirt under said sweater, and Rose is calming everyone in one of her classic dresses, all pink of course. Before Blanche hears another word, she's already picking up the phone to call an exterminator. Coco, where do you stand on rodents? Well, don't stand on rodents. How do you feel about rodents? Do you have murophobia? No, I'm I'm pro-rodent, and pro-rodent as a pet is fine. They're stinky, yeah, but otherwise cool. When I was a, a, a young boy, I had a mouse named Gizmo. Oh. 
that developed uh, some sort of growth on his underside. They and then, all do. Uh, disappeared, and we, I just never knew from him again. Oh. And then I had a, a couple of guinea pigs. Those are rodents, right? Yeah. And they that was uh, Wiggles. Oh. And <gasps> Jiggles. Noogie. Oh. Yeah, I didn't know until pretty recently that they're supposed to be in pairs. I think people didn't know that. Oh, and so, I, so they I were don't just know. sad? Oh. Yeah. Sorry. I always had rodents too. I had multiple mice. I mean, not at the same time. I just always had one. So I had, and they, they all get cancer. Yeah. They all pass away. I mean, they are the one of the best at getting cancer. They're as good as us. <laughs> anyway, I had a hamster when I was really little, and, and it was named Teddy. And my it got sick, and my mom had to bathe it. And it was it's this whole thing. She actually wrote a book called "You Haven't Lived Until You've Bathed a Hamster," because she took it in being like. Wink, wink. Is there anything we can do for this hamster? You know, that was like a couple bucks. Yeah. And the guy's like, yes, actually there is. She's like, no. <laughs> and then they did all the bathing and then still took him in. And then finally it, he was too sick. But uh, yeah, I had mice named Mickey and other things. I had a hamster named Bucket because it was a girl, but I was obsessed with Buck Williams, the trailblazer. I had a rat that I named Moesha, like after the TV show. Obviously. And it sounded like my name, so we're like best buds. And she was so cool. And literally at the <laughs> in the afternoon, I could go open the cage and like put my hand and she would run up on my shoulder and kind of burrow in. And I would drive to go pick up my brother from school. That was like her outing for the day. Then Larry enters the picture. Who is Larry, you ask? Well, Larry is the mouse in St. Olaf that once saved Rose's life. This moment has led Rose to sit so she could engage the women in the tale of how she would, using kite string as a leash, walk her mouse to school every day. One of those days, Larry suddenly stopped walking and Rose heard a loud noise. The dam upriver had broken and the mouse had saved her from being on the bridge that was then washed away. This, of course, only convinces the rest of the girls that they indeed need to call the exterminator. I love that Rose doesn't even really explain what she did with the mouse when she got to school or why she was too weak to move a mouse on a kite string. But, you know, some things are better left to the imagination, I guess. A knock at the door keeps Blanche from making the call as her niece has arrived. Lucy is played by actress Haley Todd. Before Golden Girls, Haley had a couple of small roles, like in an after-school special and as an uncredited friend in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Throughout the 80s and 90s, she had some gigs, Growing Pains, Star Trek, Murder, She Wrote. But her most known role, besides Lucy, of course, is that of Joe McGuire, Lizzie McGuire's mom on Lizzie McGuire. I am way too aged out for that show, but I did read that she was a beloved character and she will be returning to it when they reboot the series very soon. So congratulations to you, Haley. Are you serious? <laughs> Are you serious? I didn't heard that. <laughs> Oh my God. Breaking the... news Joe McGuire is back. This changes everything. <laughs> Welcome to old people guess what a show's about, having never seen it. Yeah, I know what her face looks like. I think she was like a singer or something. And then there was like a little cartoon version of her that was like, that's life, or like would talk to you directly. I don't know. Or she was just a high schooler. I have no idea what Lizzie McGuire is about. Blues Clues. Haley was 23 at the time, playing a college student, so only a smidge older than the character. But wow, the 80s really loved to make people look older. 
here is this 20-year-old kid with the hair and makeup of a Glamour Shots addict. And I'm concerned that I might need to explain what Glamour Shots is. Coco, I'd love to hear your perspective of what Glamour Shots was. Glamour Shots is when you're trying to spice up your marriage in the 80s. (laughs) And you take a very soft, focused photo of your cleavage in a thing you would never wear with hair you would never have. And then you present that awkwardly to your spouse. Um, As an anniversary present. And then your kids show it to their friends and laugh at it. (laughs) Yeah, so they weren't explicit photos, but they were very cleavage heavy, lots of boas, more makeup than anyone should ever wear, even for the 80s and 90s. Big hair. What a time. Lucy's wearing a camisole with an oversized boyfriend-style shirt and jeans. We're barely making the purple law happen in this episode, as the only one with any right now is Sophia and her checkered shirt. Blanche and Lucy are both elated to see each other, and Blanche quickly introduces her to the girls. Okay, but let's pause. As Blanche is commenting on all of Lucy's beautiful physical attributes, which of course makes her feel like she's looking in a mirror, a mirror Sophia proclaims needs Windex as she hobbles off one shoe. we need to take a look at Lucy's pants. And sorry to be rude, but right at her crotch. I mean, on it, there's some sort of design or fray or something. It looks like every pair of jeans I've ever had where the thighs start to rub themselves out of existence like a Mr. Clean magic eraser. So this has the same frayed, distressed look, but on each side of her zipper, like her vagine was causing friction. But that might have been a purposeful choice, as we soon learn her vagine can cause quite a bit of friction. I, too, lost a lot of pants to thigh friction in high school. Not the cool kind. (laughs) Maybe that's what this is. Maybe she was doing a lot of denim on denim rubbing. That's pretty hardcore. And she's she's very thin. Maybe her... Her Her pelvic bone? Yes. (laughs) Punching punching through the denim. She's very skinny. Unlike other family members we've met, which for only being 17 episodes in has been a lot of family, Lucy seems like one of the better cast ones. She looks like she could be Blanche's niece. She has the accent and the horniness, much better than, say, Kirsten Lindstrom. As the ladies ask the usual questions about travel, Lucy delightedly informs them she met a single doctor on the plane, and she's meeting him in half an hour for dinner. I mean, I've met guys on planes, I've had dates when I've visited places, but holy cow, girl, give it a minute. At least have a meal with your hosts before you dip. Although she is just taking her aunt's advice of, if you've got a stallion eating oats out of your hand, best to lock the gate before you give him any sugar. My hypothesis is that this was written as purposeful nonsense, maybe. So you've got a hot guy on the hook and he's interested, but I'm not quite sure with the gate what that represents, or maybe it means going out on a date or you sleep with him because that's the sugar. Do you have any idea? I believe the sugar is sex. Maybe Blanche says that because she's going to do it either way. Mm. And so her advice is nonsense because it doesn't matter. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. It's like my advice. <laughs> but maybe she was just using it as an analogy as she was when she was a kid, and then it became oh. a euphemism later. Boom. There it is. 
While Blanche is a little bummed Lucy is leaving so quickly, she feels better about it since it's something her mom wouldn't let her do. Blanche is tickled at how proud she is of Lucy, and now we see that, yes, her pants are in fact leggings, but not just any leggings— the stirrup kind with the little foot strap that, as a child, I never understood the need to have. Even more shocking with that strap, she's wearing them with her kitten heels, which is basically the mom version of sandals with socks. My mom wore those kind of pants with the stirrup things, and I don't think she's ever even seen a horse. (laughs) It's a completely useless piece of fabric. I think it's because... Was elastic different then? or Because so, I have leggings now that I wear every day, and I don't need the the strap. They stay put. Back then, did they just not? I bet that's what it is. It's like they have they had to have bracers for, like, socks. Socks, yeah. And ho- pantyhose. Ooh. Ooh. A garter? <laughs> a garter belt? Ooh. Yes. Before we had any technology, and we were just trying to make the pants stay, stay, stay up and stay down. Yeah. <laughs> Need a belt up top and stirrups down below. <laughs> Otherwise. Keep them in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> the the crotch of her jeans is getting extra stress because she's got something pulling her pulling her pants down. No, it's Blanche something wearing po- stirrups. But she, Lucy can wear stirrups too. <laughs> we have we don't we did we see the bottoms of her feet? I don't know for sure now under this pressure. Uh if any listeners want to weigh in on stirrup pants. When Blanche wishes out loud that she could find a doctor as easily as Lucy did, Dorothy pets her arm, reminding her there isn't enough sugar left in her bowl. I love when Dorothy doesn't comment on something stupid that is said, but she just kind of holds on to it to use as ammo later. It's another day, and Dorothy is entering the kitchen like a real grouch. She's wearing what can only be described as pioneer woman goes way in the future, then returns back to 1985 to become a retired art teacher in a brick-patterned smock. With that, what's that button called? Like the cross? I don't know what it's called, but she looked like uh, General Robert E. Lee. (laughs) But make it casual. Yeah, like like a soft, a terry cloth Civil War pajama. Dorothy's bland outfit, made of a sort of khaki pant and greenish top thing, is countered nicely by Rose's purple ensemble, head to toe. Pants, purple. Shirt, purple. Overshirt, purple. It's really making up for the lack of perp in the opening scene. The reasoning for Dorothy's crankiness is that she claims to have seen the rat again. Laughing it off, Rose reminds Dorothy, it's a mouse. Dorothy doesn't care. She's calling the exterminator. You'd think someone like Dorothy, being from Brooklyn and all, would be a lot more accustomed to rodents living in her vicinity. Here, we don't get an oh boy, but we do get an OJ. Retiring from football in 1979, OJ Simpson, you know, the football playing murderer, was introduced into the Football Hall of Fame in 1985. So I'm assuming that's what Dorothy means by saying OJ is back. Little does she know he'll go on to be famous for being in the Naked Gun in 1989 and doing commercials. Before becoming notorious for the whole double murder thing, OJ was to 80s commercials as Shaq is to our commercials now, which is on every single one of them. For anyone that may not know, Betty White was and continues to be a huge animal activist, but it wasn't just her. B. Arthur and Rue McClanahan both spoke out against animal cruelty and supported causes both in their life and posthumously. So when Rose is concerned about the mouse's survival, it's actually pretty legitimate. Fun fact, 
B. Arthur and Rue McClanahan were some of the first celebrities to speak out with PETA. What isn't legitimate is her ability to talk to animals. Sure, we can all connect with our animals, and perhaps someone listening is able to telepathically talk to animals. But, you know, no, you can't. Rose's story reminds me of my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Perry. In my sixth grade year, she took an entire day to teach us about talking to our animals. And she would say things like, you know, if you let your dog out and it's over at the fence, but you want it to come in, you can just stand at the door and in your head, say your dog's name over and over and they'll come to you. And she went on about all the other animals we can talk to. She was horrible. I think I've mentioned her before, if not here, then on Murder in the Rain, how like she threw books at kids. There were kids that had scars. Like even in high school, we would joke about it, be like, oh, yeah, here's the cut I have on my stomach from when she threw books at us. Enough of that. Dogs only do four things. Mm -hmm. One of them is coming to you and one of them is not coming to you. Mm -hmm. And then the dog might do it or not. Yeah. And your teacher really wasted the taxpayer's time. Who pays (laughs) pays for that? The taxpayers. Well. So my parents went to my parent-teacher conference and in sixth grade it's supposed to be co-hosted. So the student is supposed to be there to walk you through the work and the portfolio and show you around so it's like more control and adulthood or whatever. And my parents had me stay home and when I got there she was like, oh, I'm not leading. Where's Alicia? She's supposed to be here. And they go, no, 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 no. We want to talk to you. And they did and my dad starts probing like, what are you teaching our kids? Like not only... Is that just silly? Which it's fine to have silly conversations as a teacher, but it's not helpful. That didn't help me learn anything. (laughs) And as she tried to, she like was backpedaling. Oh, no, that's not what I meant. And all this stuff, my dad goes, you know what? It's fine. We got to go anyway. My dog's calling us. And they got up and left. (laughs) Holy. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, I love your dad so much. He was so fed up. (laughs) That is the best. I wonder if he had that locked and loaded. Or Probably. Just, I mean, either way. I should ask him if he remembers Oh, my God. I bet, I bet that's – did that stun her? I wanna, oh, yeah. I want to know what her expression was after that. And then you had to go just be in her class. Oh, but I was happy to oh. because like – Did they tell you that that happened? Oh, my – they came home and I was like, how did it go? Because they told me, you know. I mean, she was abusive. She, yeah, uh, she sounds She terrible. was gone getting surgery for um, carpal tunnel and came back, you know, with the little wrist cast. And was so mad we hadn't done our work, she busted the overhead, like the old school glass one, Mm -hmm. and like exploded the bulb. It was crazy. So they knew all of this stuff. And so, yeah, there was something very empowering about knowing my parents had my back and knew that that was bad. It was very validating to everything. Being in class, it was fine because it was just kind of like, don't mess with me because you know I'll tattle to my parents and they will come and mess you up. (laughs) What was was the teacher's name? Miss Perry. And like two years after that, she won Teacher of the Year. Isn't that cool? She was also the one that when I came in from recess crying because everyone was telling me that there was a rumor going around that I had had sex with a friend of mine. And I'm in sixth grade. I'm like, I barely know what sex is. And when she saw me upset and I explained what happened, she in front of the class after recess was like, Alicia, get up on your desk, please sit on your desk. And I was like, I sit on my I don't want to sit on my desk. What are you talking? No, you need to say, can you tell everyone what happened at recess? And so I had to tell I had to repeat the rumor to my class who I was like. Well, if you haven't heard it now, now you will. I mean, I feel like I definitely have a deep, resounding psychic connection with my dog. I, I mean, she knows exactly what I'm thinking most of the time. Like, she knows that I'm really, like, annoyed with her most of the time. <laughs> 
As Dorothy points out to Rose that she is a weirdo, Blanche comes in the kitchen in a hurry in light blue pants, a light pink shirt, and kind of a seafoam green cardigan. Lucy didn't come home last night, so we'll say it's the night after her arrival post the doctor date. Blanche can tell because her bed was still made. This isn't a plot whoopsie so much as a, huh? Because every other time there's been a guest or will be a guest, the girls have had to do some sort of room swapping. It's usually Dorothy ending up in bed with Sophia, but not for Lucy's visit. So what bed is Blanche referring to? Blanche runs to call the police when Rose comforts her. I mean, what's the worst that could happen to a twin-year-old in Miami? Well, a lot, Rose. A lot. Before the final one of 911 can be placed, the kitchen door opens. It's Lucy. With an exasperated sigh, she makes quite the entrance. Just like her auntie, Lucy is in love. She went on a midnight cruise with the complete stranger doctor man, and if we learned anything from last week, we don't go on boats in Miami, not even with our husbands. Lucy is exhausted from not sleeping, wink wink, and it's the day of one of her interviews for school. After hearing Blanche's granddaughter only wanting to go to astronaut school to meet boys, we see where these ladies get it. Blanche's response isn't, oh my god, my niece makes really scary choices that could lead to dangerous situations, especially in the time of no cell phones. Instead, she says, can you imagine landing a doctor but still wanting to go to college? For 43 years, the comic strip Lil Abner ran across national and international newspapers. It was a satirical comic that used the setting of a small, crappy town filled with hillbilly, unprogressive residents. That town was Dogpatch. So when Dorothy hears Blanche's antiquated idea of getting a man instead of an education, she references the town of Dogpatch and how, because they're sort of basically cavemen, they'll be talking about it. Dorothy is our usual hero with a smidge of unexpected positivity here. Rose, judgmental as always, is shocked at Lucy's behavior. Dorothy says she's kind of surprised, but she won't pass judgment. But then she's also like, but maybe she is in love. I mean, come on, Dorothy. All y'all need to pump the brakes more often when it comes to men. Sophia joins them in the kitchen to offer her advice in a precious yellow floral house dress. When asked if it's bad to sleep with someone on the first date, unlike her daughter, Sophia passes the ultimate judgment. It's a sin. Her whole bit here feels like something missed the mark, and Coco, you are pointing this out too. Sophia says, all I said is it was a sin. Personally, I'd go back to eating fish on Fridays if the Pope would give that one a green light. But is the green light in regards to eating fish or sleeping with someone? Coco, you went to Catholic school. Please help. I, I think she was saying like it was like she would trade off going back to eating fish on Fridays, which is a thing I guess Catholics do, yeah. um, in order to be able to do that. Oh, okay. Like she would they'd be like, I'd eat my vegetables oh, so I can okay. have the dessert. But yeah, but that's what you're saying is it just felt... You can't eat your pudding if you don't have any meat. <laughs> That'd be a great song. It felt like they had her kind of rush this because she kind of throws that out and then just is like, we're out of milk. And it's quiet. There's yeah. a lot of weird quiet parts throughout this episode. Yeah, the, the timing, the audience sounds, everything was really weird. Yeah, it was like, wait, was that supposed to be a joke or? Yeah, and we were guessing that maybe there were reshoots or something that they had to maybe do Sophia's part when there wasn't an audience or something. So something. they're not... 
it's just strange. And I mean, even the to me the the laugh track sounded canned. Yeah, and and not it sounded not way from... more fake laugh track yeah. than usual audience because some episodes. People, you know, in that Facebook group, I always talk about some people talk about specific episodes and specific laughs that stick out yeah. or screams or, you know, just the different noises. So you you kind of know when it's the audience. Yeah. So something was off. Definitely. Yeah. Weird vibe. Later in the day, we're out on the lanai with Dorothy and Sophia, who are playing checkers. As to be expected, Sophia is cheating, changing which color she's playing. I love that she calls Dorothy's you're the red ones and I'm the black ones playing by Vegas rules. Like, it's so strict that in checkers, you have to use your own checker. What are those? Movers? What are they? Markers? They're checkers. The checker is a checker? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Game piece? Yeah. The checkers piece. Disc. It's a disc. It's a coin-shaped disc or a disc-shaped coin game object i'm gonna say it's yeah you play checkers with checkers now that dorothy is sitting at the table and we get a wider shot we can see all of her outfit and see that she's wearing maybe black or gray stockings and they kind of make her feet look like those of a corpse so keep an eye out for that yeah quentin tarantino you little freak (laughs) Lucy arrives after her interview at the university and is looking hot and saggy in her flesh pink sweater dress with a belt to really hold the excess fabric together. Lucy is looking for Blanche to tell her how well the interview went, but she doesn't have much time. She's going out for dinner with Michael. Michael is not the doctor from the plane, rather someone she met while at the university. And not just someone, but the man that did the interview. Red flag for power imbalance in that relationship. Another weird moment here when Dorothy kind of calls Lucy out for being as excited for the date with Michael as she was with the doctor, it cuts kind of weird. Like there's supposed to be a weird face or another line or at least some laughter. So kind of what Coco and I were just talking about with the audience vibe being really off. Additionally, I'm surprised that with Sophia sitting right there with her, she wasn't talking more trash to Lucy, but she gets some burns in in a little bit. Blanche finds everyone on the lanai and is delighted to hear that the interview went well when Lucy informs her that she won't be home for dinner that night or the next. That's because she has a first date with the interview man and it's an overnight trip to the Bahamas. I don't know what kind of first dates people were having in the 80s, but as I've previously discussed, I say no to the first date. She just met this guy. Do you know how many times I've met someone and it was so thrilling and then you get about 20 minutes into an actual date of a meal or a drink and then you start to try to will your heart to stop so you can get out of it? Yeah, I'm not interested in feeling that way on an island. I think there must be something in Dorothy's eye in this episode. She usually does do things with her hands or face when delivering a line. I think it was just her acting style. It kind of makes the lines more casual and believable. She's not thinking about acting. She's just simply wiping her eye while speaking, which she does in the kitchen with the dog patch line. And now, as she breaks it to the giddy Blanche, that Lucy isn't going to the Bahamas with the doctor. She's going with the university guy. Perhaps it's out of respect that Sophia didn't say anything to Lucy's face, but once she's gone and Blanche seems to be struggling to understand who Lucy would be going to the Bahamas with, Sophia calmly and frankly states, she's a slut. 
The word slut has been around a long time and has had many, many meanings. It was in the Canterbury Tales, it was first used in a dictionary in the 1400s, and it has had meanings like a rag dipped in lard to be used as a candle, an unkempt man, a dirty person, a poor housekeeper, a female dog, and then... In the 1900s, the word evolved or devolved into what it is known as today, a female that is deemed loose or overly sexual. But the days of slut-shaming and judging are behind us. We just survived a pandemic. Sexually celebrate if you want. Safely, of course. Dorothy details exactly what is happening and with who. Blanche writes it off. She's 20. Plus, who is she to butt into Lucy's life? Dorothy takes it a bit far and says Blanche should call Lucy's mother, but Blanche refuses. They've had a close, honest relationship, and she doesn't want to do anything that might damage it. So Dorothy and Blanche come to a compromise. Blanche will talk to Lucy. Sophia doesn't ask us to picture anything, but she does share a story from Cicely about a girl who would sleep with any Tom, Dick, or Vito she crossed paths with. This is an Italian twist on the more common Tom, Dick, and Harry, which just means the everyman. Shakespeare was one of the first to use it. In his play Henry IV, he wrote, I am sworn brother to a leash of drawers and can call them by their names, Tim, Dick, and Francis. That was in 1597. In 1657, John Owen, an English theologian, used it when speaking to a governing body at Oxford, saying, Our critical situation and our common interests were discussed out of journals and newspapers by every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Sophia continues her tale, saying the women in town got together and dragged the slut to the outside of town, throwing her on the ground. The women yelled at her, asking why she would do such a thing. Why? Well, there was nothing else to do in the village. While this story is entertaining, it isn't exactly helpful. That's not Sophia's problem, though. It just happens to be the only slut-related story she knows. It's later that night, and Blanche has fallen asleep on the couch, reading a novel, dressed in a light purple periwinkle nightgown and robe, when she is awoken by the front door opening. It's Lucy and a mystery man. Lucy is dressed in an oversized yellow button-up shirt and jeans with little buttons on the calf, and she's surprised to find Blanche awake. Telling Lucy she needs to speak with her, Blanche asks Lucy to tell her date goodnight and come into the kitchen. But Lucy has different plans. She informs Blanche she wasn't exactly home for the night. She was just grabbing some things before going back to Ed's apartment. That's right. This ain't the doctor. This ain't Michael the university guy either. This is L.A. Well, actually, it's clearly not L.A. as Ed, via his beige suit with a light blue T-shirt and his proclamation of being a cop, a.k.a. on Miami Vice, it's very clear we are in Miami in the 80s. The part of Ed is being played by Ken Stovitz. He had done some acting before the Golden Girls, some TV movies, chips, even had a role in the film Blue Velvet. Looking at his IMDb, you might think he fell out of show business, but no, he simply pivoted to production. He was a producer for the 2010 remake of Karate Kid and has been announced as the producer for the sequel. He is also now in talent management. Good for you, Ed, one of our favorite bit parts on the show, and you really made a name for yourself. Miami Vice was a huge TV show that started the year before The Golden Girls. I've literally never seen a minute of it, but I do get the idea. 
More than being a show, it was a cultural phenomenon, a time capsule, if you will, of the excess and madness that was the mid-80s. Crockett and Tubbs wore the pastel suits and drove sexy cars while fighting crime, and Ed was all about it. Blanche is unimpressed that Lucy has now brought home a cop. I mean, sure, the girl gets around, but at least these guys all have careers. I'd be much more concerned if she was like, he's a white rapper, or he sells private boat tours on an alligator farm. You know, it could have been worse. Then again, job titles mean nothing as Lucy only met Ed the cop because he was arresting Michael from the university as they were coming back from the Bahamas and Michael was transporting weed. Also, that means Lucy hasn't been home for like two days now and is trying to leave again. Take a breath and a shower, toots. As I as I once heard you say to a, a girlfriend of yours over the phone, girl, aren't you even going to let it dry out? <laughs> Something to that effect. <laughs> Did I really? Absolutely. <laughs> Is that weird? I mean, that would, I've never done that. It seems risky to me just because she doesn't know them at yes. all. Yes. She just met it's the one really, guy. Yeah. If you're like, boom, 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 and it's set up safe, you know them or whatever. What else is going on, Lucy? Yeah. There's definitely, I think I, that's more the concern. And I talk about that in a bit where it's not that you're doing that, it's not that you're having sex or that you're just meeting these people. It's like, you just met that guy and you went out on a boat in the middle of the night. You just met the other guy and you went on a plane and you went to the Bahamas to go stay. You just met this guy and you're going to his house. So, yeah, it's definitely more the destructive choices because she's putting herself in dangerous situations than it is like, okay. And the guy, who was it that she was on the plane with? That was the doctor. The doctor is going to prison if he was transporting oh, weed. Oh, that plane. No, she met the doctor on the plane and then she came back with Michael, the university guy. Oh, yeah, Michael, And yeah, the he's in guy. prison for a very long time. His, he's no longer a international guy. drug trafficker. He lost his job. So you're not getting into that university. She's going to be called in back to Miami as a witness. Otherwise, she might get charged. The cartels are going to kill her. Yeah, she's seen too much. Wow. For mega fans that know what I'm talking about when I say water lily, I love that as Blanche is really showing us her parenting for the first time, she and Lucy are framing a painting of water lilies behind Blanche. The lighting has changed and now I can see Lucy's top isn't just oversized, it's crushed velvet, which I will have nothing to do with, thank you. Also, I hate that her joke doesn't get the reaction it deserves. Again, a weird vibe moment where she says, you think you know somebody, and it gets crickets. Blanche then grounds Lucy, who puts up a fight. She also makes the valid point that at 20 years old, she can make her own choices. Lucy grabs Ed and they storm out of the house, leaving Blanche at the door. Surrounding the front door are both mine and Coco's grandmother's favorite flower, the bird of paradise. Distraught, Blanche does the only thing she can. She sits with the girls in the kitchen and vents about the disrespect Lucy showed her. Dorothy tries to comfort her. The girl hasn't been away from home before. This freedom is new to her, and she's going to experiment. Rose comes in for the assist, sharing how embarrassed she still is, thinking about some of the things she did when she was in her rebellious phase. Coco, did you really have a—I know we're both pretty straight and narrow, nerdy kids. Did you ever have a rebellious phase, or what was your biggest rebellion? 
if you even had one, because I genuinely don't think I even have one. I, I didn't. I mean, I don't think I did anything. I didn't start drinking or doing anything like that until after high school. I would go to my friend's house, or they would come to my house, or we would go to a movie, or we would just stay at our house and play video games and eat pizza <laughs> and watch X-Files. So that's pretty crazy. <laughs> no, I never. Oh, you know what? I This is the one. This is so okay. lame. Okay. Picture it. I Yeah, picture it. 1997. I'm 17. I have a lot of freedom, but not total freedom because I'm like a good kid. I'm not a great student, but I'm not a bad kid. I'm, I don't get into any trouble. And there was a hot new movie coming out that Friday. And I was going to go to like an eight o'clock showing or something like that. And it was sold out. So I had to go to like a 1030 showing. And then the movie got out and it was like 1 a.m. <gasps> and I, my mom would have, was like, I had to be home at like 11 or something like that. And so I called her and I'm on a cell phone, like a big Brick. flip down. Yeah. I mean, like a, uh, yeah, like a Star Chat, StarTac phone. Oh, yeah, with the big battery off the Huge, back. Huge, yeah. yes. <laughs> and I'm talking on the phone and driving, which was new to me and all people at the time. And I, it was like the middle of the night and I ran a red light, <gasps> ran through it. Nothing happened, but I ran through a red light. My my friend is with me in the car and I'm on the phone talking to my mom like, it's I, the movie was sold out. And I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't call you, you know, whatever. And my friend is like pawing at me like, dude, 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 dude. And we just went through a red light and it was fine. But. Um, oh, so could have not been. Yeah. That movie, The Craft. <laughs> so at least it was worth it. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. It's too bad we didn't know each other. Oh, yeah. We could have been the nerdiest kids Been together. like weird. Yeah. We got married the day that. <laughs> We the, turned 18. No, the day of our high school graduation. <laughs> <laughs> Go from the yeah the soccer field to the courthouse. Yeah. And our, getting married in our cap and gown. <laughs> the dream. Oh my God. I really can't think of like the biggest time I've been in trouble. It's just not you. What would well, because the biggest times I've been in trouble was like from the cops and then my parents always knew about stuff like throwing a party. My oh, parents yeah. knew they'd be like, we're out of town. Be safe with everything. Cause That's they knew, crazy. Because they knew how scared I was to get in trouble. Well, just things can get out of hand so quickly and they with parties. Did. Yeah. Like when we had 100 people in the house and the cops came and threatened to write me like a $100,000 ticket. I think also, too, and you might have experienced this, too. I was so candid. Well, I'm such a bad liar and I'm so candid and really bad about like, do people need to know this that they knew I couldn't hold anything or hide anything away? You know, so it's like there there was one, there was nothing to hide Two, I couldn't have if I wanted to. <laughs> and it's not like I was sneaking off to make out with boys. Yeah, your your face is your own greatest enemy <laughs> as far as usually lies, lie detection and reaction. Oh, yours? Yeah. I mean, I I mean, I uh, I like to think I'm pretty close to you. <laughs> and I sometimes am um I I am I'm afraid of the expression that I see even one that's like walking by me. You, you <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what that is. Did I do that? <laughs> Ultimate Resting biash face. <laughs> just, yeah. Oh my bit. god, that's so funny. But you're just so beautiful and striking too. It's Aww. just uh, the mean face is just is also beautiful and striking and terrifying. And they cost me jobs and friendships.
Before we get into all of Rose's rebellion, let's take a moment to appreciate the vibrant colors of all of the actually comfortable-looking robes the gals have on. Okay, moment over. Dorothy is a total smartass about Rose's rebellion, like, oh, what did you do that was so bad, milk a cow too hard? Rose shocks both women when she admits she snuck out of her bedroom window, stole her dad's truck, and went to town to meet a boy at a bar. A sophomore boy. The only boy old enough to get into a bar. Poor, stupid Clell Leitner. Once there, Rose was too scared to do anything but sit in the truck. What was a girl like her doing in a big, bustling place like Tyler's Landing? Which, by the way is a real place. It's a township in St. Olaf, and in 2000, the population was a whopping 332. So I can only imagine what it was back in 1985. So of course for Rose, this was an exciting big city. St. Olaf is a real place? Yes, St. Olaf is a real place. Have you covered that already? Have you said that? I didn't. No, I I assumed everyone knew. No, I assumed. Uh, no, I no. St. Olaf in Minnesota is a real place, and they have a school there. Way back in the day, when I went to like a convention for colleges, you know, you could each college is like come to our school, you know. And the whole time in my head, I'm like, I don't want to spend the money on this. I don't want to go do this. This is the worst. And then I saw St. Olaf, <laughs> and it was real. And the school, and it was a women's school. And I was like, that sounds horrible. But if it means I can say I went to school in St. Olaf, like that's how much I loved the show. That I was like, I'm willing to go to St. Olaf to to do school if it means I get to say that. But then I was like, nah. Eventually, Rose got out of the truck and went to the bar, only to find the reverend coming out of the bar with the wife of a local war hero, a hero that had received three head wounds and therefore three purple hearts, as that medal is given to military service persons who die or are injured in battle. But due to the man's head injuries, his wife had to run their feed store. I loved that joke, another weird vibe moment where, or maybe it's just too clever of a joke in too little of a time, where she says that he was the only sophomore old enough to go to the bar. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That, that's... And then it takes it and you're like, the only sophomore? And you're like, oh, it's high school. So yeah, yeah he'd only be 15, he's but been... he's 21. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be, he might, might be 18 back then. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because that was probably, Yeah, either way, he's had a rough go. This tale of woe prompts Dorothy to inquire if this is a story or if Rose is performing Our Town. Our Town is a play from 1938. Written by Thornton Wilder, Our Town is the story of everyday citizens in a small American town, not too different from Rose's ramblings. Our Town has been on Broadway and eventually won the Pulitzer Prize for drama. Usually, the play is performed on a bare stage, and instead of props, the actors mime their actions. And for those reasons, I am out. This gets Rose back on track. When she had run away and bumped into her cheating church leader, they agreed neither would tattle on the other. And he didn't tell a soul, because the hero husband caught the reverend and the wife frolicking in the church fountain and shot both of them. And that's why Rose's family became Lutherans. This story has not only not helped Blanche, it only riled her up. She didn't need or want to hear Rose's lame story, especially when she didn't need to hear what Teenage Rebellion was like. She lived it. Having dropped out of school for a month at 15, or as a sophomore in high school, becoming a magician's assistant, a year later she ran off with a gas station attendant twice her age, so 32, making her way towards Mexico so they could get married. The year after that, she went to New York and danced as a rockette. The Rockettes are the synchronized dancers that have been seen can-canning at New York's Radio City Music Hall since the 1930s. Without reacting, Dorothy is like, 
Your little Tyler's Landing doesn't exactly sound all that rebellious now, does it, Rose? Rose apologizes for making her story a big deal, which she really shouldn't. Her adventure of taking her dad's car into town and finding the reverend, that was her teenage rebellion experience. It isn't any less of an experience for her just because Blanche's was way more intense or outrageous, so no sorries there, Rose. Blanche realizes that her big sister calling her out on her out-of-control behavior was the only reason she got her act together. Dorothy uses that insight to point out that Lucy may need that same tough love so she can get her legs, I mean act, together. Rose, of course, takes this literally and isn't sure how Lucy could get a talking to from a big sister if she doesn't already have one. As the ladies start their fashion show runway walk of sleeping clothes heading out of the kitchen, a horrible scream comes from somewhere. It's Dorothy. She has seen the mouse again. And the sight of the mouse just might lead to the death of Rose, seeing as Dorothy's response to it is to firmly wrap her arms around Rose's neck. Trying to quell Dorothy's fears, Rose explains that she tried to reason with the mouse, but he's just an odd duck. Perhaps Rose is deserving of a purple heart or two, seeing as it seems as though she might have sustained a head injury or two herself. Ooh, an exotic other house shot as we return from the commercial break. It's night out, but we see some lights on inside what looks to be a unit in an apartment building. Once inside, we see it is an apartment, and it's the coolest bachelor pad I've seen since Tom Hanks' flat in Big. Ed has been using his policeman's salary to keep his wardrobe fresh and vice-looking, but he also has been using that money to trick out his house with all sorts of nonsense. He has a stuffed sheep, not a toy or taxidermied, but maybe it's to be used as a side table? He has a pretty decent sense of decorating. He has nice furniture, large decorative fabric palm tree things, a reel-to-reel stereo, an actual dining set. It's pretty nice for a cis white cop guy. You had some thoughts about those palm trees. To me, they look like they were a comforter set that, that someone had shaped into a palm tree. It's being repurposed. Yeah. And there are two of them. They're huge. I mean, like. There's one point where, from the angle, it looks like he almost had to duck to to pass the the frond. It's taking up so, so much, much room. space. You could have a chair where the trunks are. Yeah. Lucy is sitting on the couch as Ed hands her a drink. It looks like maybe a whiskey on the rocks. When Lucy tells Ed she's never seen Miami Vice, he sounds like me talking to anyone that doesn't watch The Golden Girls. Are you serious? How is that even possible? He even pushes that it broadcasts in stereo because that was a new thing. And NBC, home of the Golden Girls, was pioneering stereo broadcasting, starting with The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Miami Vice soon followed. Even though it's very late at night, Ed, a cop, isn't phased by hearing a knock at his door. It's Blanche in her best pink sweatsuit with kitten heels. Another thing I love about this show, that just like in real life, the women frequently rewore outfits. It was never a thing or to make a point. It's just like, yeah, you don't need brand new clothes for every scene in every episode. Oh, their original network was NBC? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. And, and then, then, it, then did it switch over to CBS? Maybe it was that um, when Hallmark bought it mm -hmm. and Hallmark was part of oh, ABC by, or, yeah. you know, Viacom Whoever, or the whole yeah. thing. Okay. So the, and then that's why it's going to be on Disney Plus this summer. Wow. So there you go. And speaking of the clothes, fun fact, Blanche or Rue actually had it written in her contract that she would get to keep all of Blanche's wardrobe, which she did. 
That's really smart. I would do that if I was. Oh, yeah. If I was in anything like anything. that. Anything. Yeah. Movie, TV show. Especially, yeah. Something. Especially as a glasses wearer, I oh, would get yeah. like I'd be like I want like I need a new pair of glasses. <laughs> and I don't. And I wouldn't care that I had a hundred. Yeah. Because I need them all around the house. That's true. Thank you. Ed's light purple walls really allow Dorothy's sweater to blend right in. Luckily, her white pants and undershirt make it so she doesn't look like a floating head. Rose has joined Blanche in the monochromatic outfit wearing, hers being a very, very light teal seafoam mouthwash blue. Rose is, of course, smitten with the stuffed sheep. And to revisit our childhood decor, we've talked about before the sheep and the ducks. And I'm sure, listeners, you experienced this in the 80s where your mom or whoever you lived with maybe really felt that pastel, was really feeling some... We had a lot of light pink hearts and light blue clouds and a lot of ducks in the kitchen, Uh, sheep in the living room. Easter coloring book chic. Yes. A lot of light denims and uh, dried wheat. Oh, yeah, we had potpourri everywhere. Bows and little wooden wooden hearts. Yes, everything was wooden. Ugh, mom. Yeah, my mom really, really wanted a farm farm look. What is that? And I that? was going to say, my mom, even now, but it's then also, never, nothing farm, nothing. My mom was born and raised in L.A. Yeah, same. Yeah, just. No farm. No. She's never liked it. Nothing farm, nothing old looking, nothing. And never a desire, never a spoken desire to do anything near a farm. No. Maybe a Knott's Berry farm for some <laughs> delicious preserves Yeah, and, and fried and, chicken. I bet, yeah, I don't even, I don't know, but I bet my mom hates rabbits. Oh my God, the rabbits. I forgot about the rabbits. The little soft looking cartoon. My brother's rabbits. nursery was uh, not precious moments, but kind of personified bunnies. Oh yeah, yes. That's what it, yes, yeah. I don't know what that is either. And and uh, my dad hand painted little the little pink hearts and the little bunnies across the entire nursery. That's so cool that he yeah, did that. But That's a so very sweet. early nineties <laughs> example there of decor. Just as Officer Ed is about to light a cigarette, something you rarely see on the show, Rose mentions how his place looks a lot like something out of Miami Vice, one of her favorite shows. Thrilled to connect with a fellow Vicer, Ed shares how that show influences everything in his life, his job choice, his house, his clothes, leaving him up to his neck in hawk. While Ed implies he owes his life to Miami Vice, he is struggling with the debt aspect as he is only making about $16,000 or just shy of $40,000 in today's money. With the average rent cost at that time being about 30% of income, that would mean his annual salary would only cover about four months of rent. Not counting his Italian suits, he was probably spending as much as $4,500 a month on rent. Blanche and Lucy have awkwardly taken over the bedroom of this strange man. Ed's spending habits also seeped into his bedroom as it is entirely wallpapered, has an obscenely large plant. I mean, this thing is so big, it definitely is housing an iguana. There's a large vase filled with umbrellas, I think, and they're blocking what appears to be a closet door. There's a coat rack, huge floor lamps, a desk with cohesive office supplies, in red, of course, to clash with the pink carpet, a lounger, a red stereo, so many glass tabletops. On his bed are a sexy animal fur pillows and a shaggy bedspread, and on his nightstand, a teeny tiny television. 
All in all, it's a lot. As Blanche starts to call Lucy out for her behaviors, Lucy is immediately defensive and offensive, saying that Blanche has no room to speak as she too is a slut. Blanche clarifies her relationships with men. She says she's with men that she likes, not because they like her. This is a moment I really relate to Blanche. We can talk a tough, empowered game, but when it came to men, it was more often about wanting to be liked than liking them. Remember how she's already been almost married a bunch of times? Lucy volleys back, but remember how awkward and unpretty I used to be. I deserve to go out. I deserve the attention. This is where I relate to Lucy. I always hated my body, so I assumed everyone else did. I had braces for over five years, acne for over 30, and still struggled to experience a thing called a good hair day I keep hearing about. Lucy had grown up idolizing Blanche in her beauty and popularity. She liked being liked. She noticed she was noticed. And that's when Blanche pieces it all together. Lucy was so consumed with getting others to like her, she never got around to making herself someone she liked. She didn't respect who she was, always changing to meet the needs of others, so she wasn't going to get any respect from these boys. Blanche begs Lucy to come back to the house, neck brooch and all, so they can enjoy their last week together. We're back in the living room where Ed and Rose are playing Miami Vice Midnight Trivia as Dorothy gives her best impression of me listening to my friends talk about Harry Potter, Hamilton, shopping, makeup, corporate jobs, Peloton bikes, Starbucks, center stage, all musicals really, their kids. Rose's intelligence blows Ed away. He's never met anyone so smart. A concerning fact, as Dorothy points out, since he's a cop and all... As the ladies start to head out, Ed's concern isn't that the girl he was going to sleep with is leaving. It's that he's put popcorn on. When asking if he could call sometime, Lucy embarrassingly thinks he's talking to her, when really it's a question directed at Rose. When offered the opportunity to go through Don Johnson's trash, a.k.a. Crockett, a.k.a. Dakota Johnson's dad from Fifty Shades of Grey, fun fact. It's so wild to think about people knowing her before him. Yeah, Holy. that there are definitely people going, Don who? And they go, Dakota, oh my gosh, her dad That's was her famous. Dad? Her mother's Melanie Griffith. Look her up too if you don't know. Milk money. <laughs> don't watch that movie. <laughs> We're back at the house where we get a live action shot of a real mouse crawling across the kitchen floor. And as Coco pointed out, it really looks with the, with the mouse having red eyes and its weird shading, it looks like they may be dolloped on some gray paint. Yeah, I think some sort of um, sponge. Yeah, some makeup and, or something. Yeah, some like the stuff they would use to make like a hobo costume. Yes. Like the five o'clock shadow, they just kind of dab that on a white. I'm convinced that's a white mouse. I yeah, will not Yeah, because it has the red else. eyes. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why they did it to make it scarier looking. Oh, that makes, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, brown ra- brown mouse with, with red eyes is way scarier. Because not white mice have brown eyes, so maybe the, it wouldn't have shown up so well mm. on camera. And so they wanted the scary red eyes, so they dolloped some gray stuff on it. As we see his cute little body scamper near the fridge, Dorothy comes creeping out of the garage slash pantry slash guest bedroom slash mink breeding area. (laughs) More on all of that on later episodes. And she's carrying a broom. She's armed and looks very dangerous in her chic straight jacket with the sleeves ripped off so you look like a fridge outfit. In head-to-toe off-white, it's clearly not after Labor Day. Tiptoeing towards the mouse, Dorothy is able to corner it. Before she knows it, she's talking to the mouse, Rose style. 
She tries to give it a pep talk, telling the mouse it has no life in her house, although he's probably enjoying a lot of treats. Between the late night snacking and Sophia always hoarding food in her room, this mouse is living the high life. Before Dorothy follows through on smashing the mouse, her Catholic habits come through as she repents for her killing of bugs in the past and she swears she's never killed anything before. Nearly in tears, she begs for the mouse to leave out the hole under the sink where he came in. And it does. Minor plot whoopsie here. Dorothy says, leave out of the hole under the kitchen sink. The exterminator said that you probably came in that way. So did they actually call the exterminator? Did they only ask for advice? Or did he actually come out to the house but suck at his job? Unfortunately for Dorothy, Rose has been in the kitchen, witnessing the miracle of Dorothy's animal-talking powers. And I can't help but giggle every time as Dorothy gets busted, she starts to merrily dance with the broom across the kitchen while asking how long Rose had been there. As Rose celebrates Dorothy's talent, she continues to deny anything. That is, before Dorothy threatens to kill Rose if she squeals on her. But Rose has the upper hand. Kill me? You couldn't even kill a mouse. Rose is looking lovely in her aqua-colored dress, while Blanche looks like a Georgia peach in her outfit that has too much going on to even start to dissect. Sophia gifts Lucy with a parting plate of snacks that are loose on the plate except for a dangerously thin layer of saran wrap, which is supposed to hold it in place to survive a plane ride? As Lucy looks like an American dream in her red, white, and blue sweater-shirt combo. While we only got a few minutes of Sophia this episode, they are all wonderful. Like when Dorothy, saying her goodbye to Lucy, says, We enjoyed having you. Sophia adding, So did half of Miami. You know, because she had someone sexually. Rose sits down, feeling shocked and impressed at Lucy's turnaround and behavior. Blanche shares that when they were talking in Ed's room, she told Lucy she had a lot going on and deserved to be loved for more than just putting out. She also realized that she was a lot more of an influence on her niece than she had previously thought. Besides, it's not like she gets around as much as she says she does. It's a Southern thing to be a bit vague about the truth. So no, Blanche hasn't slept with as many men as she implies. Or has she? Wink, wink. While this episode is a bit one-note and lacking Sophia time, it is a progressive episode, showing that a 20-year-old woman can go out and have sex with whomever she wants. It also shows how the women react to it, based on their religion and upbringing, but they too make progress about how they view it. When it comes to sexual behaviors, to each their own, as long as it's between consenting adults and no one is hurt, go for it. When it comes to concerns about said behaviors, it is easy to feel defensive, if you're the one being talked to, or awkward if you're the one doing the talking. But just like Dorothy said, it's not a matter of agreeing with actions or choices. It's about not judging them. As long as you recognize the consequences of your actions, go for it, and I'll be there for you as a friend. But as a friend, if I am worried about your behaviors because of safety, you know, like flying to an island with a stranger then there should be space for those conversations. As friends, it should be clear there isn't judgment, only love. If Blanche hadn't loved Lucy, she wouldn't have fought so hard to make sure she was taking a step back to evaluate her decisions. When it comes to sex, be safe, be smart. Don't go out on a boat with a stranger. Don't do anything that makes you uncomfortable. Don't cross any boundaries. Make sure you feel respected. And don't do it because you think you owe someone something. When it comes to talking about sex, be gentle and clear about your intentions. Love is love. 
Happy Pride Month to everyone. And as always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week where we'll talk all about hospitalization and foot injury in The Operation. Hey, Alicia, this is Coco. Um, this is... <laughs> <laughs> Great introduction. Good start. Uh, I don't. I, I... No, I don't. I, um, as a boy, I... <clears throat> Funky, Funky dunk. dunk. Uh, no, I'm, I... Hi, Alicia, this is Coco. <laughs> <laughs> Your top rodent bath tips. <laughs> it's what the people are asking for. We'll call, oh, God, we'll call it squeaky clean. <laughs> Squeaky, squeaky. <laughs> Metronome. Time, that's the time ticking away <laughs> with your nonsense. <laughs> My little dumbass. You made me look a fool. No, you were right, though. Oh, okay. You made me look a smart. <laughs> it wasn't like explicit naughty photos. Explicit? Yeah. Say that, start that again. Explicit? <laughs> that's explosively explicit. Here's How's this for a business idea? It's called From Behind. It's a gla- it's glamour shots of your partner from behind. <laughs> As Blanche is commenting on all of Lucy's beautiful 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 physical attributes. Wow, that's a tough quest- question. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! As Blanche is commenting on all of Lucy's beautiful physical Oh my god. I can do very little from where I am right now. Just be, I can be sassy. From analogy to euphemism. The Josh McCullough story. <coughs> I choked on myself. She's like, Mariska oh. Hargitay is in Lake Placid. Rose's story. Rose's story. <laughs> you don't think people can telepathically. You don't think people Hold can Hold on. I'm going to ask you your opinion. See, I want to I see um, how this mic sounds. Uh, with a wig on it. Oh, I see a trademark coming. Micro-wigs. I mean, this is this is looking cute. <laughs> God, sorry I have good energy. <laughs> Crushed velvet CVPS. From 30, from 30 years. Crushed CVPS. velvet protection, protective <laughs> services. <laughs> Help me. I'm loving this mic wig. Like Van, <laughs> like Van Wilder. Oh, yes, of course. Thank the, you for yes. the reference. Immortalized point. by Sir Ryan Nine Reynolds. Reynolds. <laughs> Now that's a Coco. Oh boy. <sighs> I was like, I and don't know. If, I wonder if she can see this. It's hey. literally the only thing of you I can see. <laughs> so please. So sorry. <laughs> should I put a should I put can a wig you... on it? And it's the coolest bachelor plan bachelor plan. <laughs> Something that's like that. Good. But I saw it when I was young. <laughs> Well, and it was all. Ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you get stuck under the desk? Yeah. But as Coco poked, poked out. I don't have much, but I've got these hooves. I don't know much, but I know I love hooves. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.